Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey Mets fans, welcome to episode 288 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and the Mets are still bad, but we're here anyway, getting through this together. So first up, Chris McShannon and I talk about the state of the Mets, who we think will be traded, and who shudder to think we want to win the NL East. Well Chris, it's been a while since you and I have been on the show together. That's and, right. Uh, I guess the the biggest bit of news since then is the Mets are even worse than the last time we were on the show together. <laughs> uh, when did you uh, when did you throw in the towel for the season? Um, probably a little earlier than you might have guessed. Was my Especially general for longtime listeners of the podcast, knowing you as the optimist of the group. Yeah, but I'm looking. Let me let me see. To answer this question, I think I have to look at actual like dates in the standings. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't a friend of mine had said to me that he gave up when they blew the lead in Toronto in the first of the two game series, and I was like, all right, that's 
extremely late. I gave yes. up a lot sooner than that. Uh, you know, but let's see. Let's just play around with the standings and go back just a month to June fifth. That and, was the Cubs series. Yeah, it was pretty bad, but there are four games under five hundred. Uh, you know, many teams out of the wild card, but still, you know. We all know the bar for contention is really a 500 record or slightly better. Right. So I'm, I may have kind of given up at that point, you know, because just this date that I happened to pull up, uh, you know, they had lost five in a row. They had gone two and eight in their previous 10 games at that point. Um, you know, they'd really completed, well, so we thought they, but they, they they had completed the the drop from relevance into the abyss, and uh, yeah, I, I think around then. I'm trying to think. I may have had tickets to that Friday night game, uh, which would have been on June 5th, and I think I just didn't go. No, Friday night wouldn't have been June. Wasn't June June second was a Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. All right, so... June 1st was Friday night against the Cubs. So I was at that game. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, somewhere in that vicinity. That's right. So the first, we thought about going uh, and meeting up. Yeah. And you had gone. And I had gone the night before, and it was just miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so I think somewhere right around there uh, was probably when I had started to give up and then i mean just they won five games in june you know it was just and and like i'll still watch if i'm home and you know nothing else specific is going on um but yeah no it's it's vague somewhere in between that cub series and you know a lot sooner than this week um, and you know it's kind of crazy to think it may didn't go well, but you know they got to the end of it and they were still they were still around, you know. Yeah. Um, even just going back to June first, they're twenty seven and twenty eight. You go okay, they slip below five hundred. That's still really bad considering how they started the season, but you know it's not a death sentence. Uh, it, look at it this way. Uh, on June 1st, the Mets were a game ahead of the Dodgers. Wow. And do, do I even want to do the math on what the difference is today? <laughs> Ugh. Uh, 11 and a half behind the Dodgers. Jeez. So it's just, you know, I, I, and it all makes sense, I guess, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, now you're looking like not only are you thinking, okay, you trade guys because you're obviously sellers, uh, but you know you you uh, you're looking at it like, well, n- nobody has a shot at the first pick other than the Orioles and the Royals, who are just they make the Mets and Marlins look fantastic, right? But but you're thinking uh, a bit of a top five draft pick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a good chance of it. The Reds, Padres, and Marlins are all pretty bad. And if the Pirates, I haven't really checked in on the Pirates roster in depth lately. 
Um, you know, if they sell, they could be a team that maybe drops a little farther out of it. Uh, you know, the Nationals are lucky to be 500. We'll get more to to them in a little bit here. But, um, yeah, it's just I've had I've had the uh, bad Mets feeling. I don't recall a season that had as good of a stretch as they started with and the feeling that we have now in the same year. Yeah. There may be one, but I don't remember it. I feel like there's a there's just a level of expectation that plays into all of this. Like, you know, I went to a lot of games in 2010. I know what it's like to root for a bad Mets team. You know, I grew right. up, uh, you know, the first couple of years I remember being, you know, an active Mets fan were like, you know, and I was four in 86. So I don't remember that, you know, but I remember, you know, the, the 89 through, you know, 93 Mets. I, I know bad Mets teams. This isn't uh, this isn't new to me. But this just feels dire in a way that 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 no other team of recent memory feels to me. I guess because I still believe on paper this team looks pretty good. Right. If, you know, all things considered, this team doesn't look terrible on paper. And uh, the fact that they are just... Just un, um, unimaginable. <laughs> yeah, I, I could never have imagined the team being this bad in this many different ways, especially right. after that start. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of it leaves you at a loss for words, which isn't necessarily the best thing for a podcast. But no. it, you know, you just you look at it and you go, "How is this a team that?" You know, we were, we were talking about with so much excitement. And, you know, when we were in San Diego, I was thrilled to go to all three games. And, uh, you know, they won two out of three. That that kind of feels like the last good moment the season had was out there. I remember us talking on a podcast in, at the end of April with you saying, like, I really hope they get to 20 wins in April. Yeah. <laughs> and that seemed, 20 wins in a month seemed like a an achievable goal for this team. And yeah, I mean, that was the ask there was basically win most of the remaining series in the month. Yes. Um, you know, so they could have afforded, you know, maybe lose one series, win the next two or whatever it was, uh, you know, it wasn't that far away. And to, to give some perspective on, on that one, they're only at 34 now. Exactly. And it's much later. And when we talk about how bad other teams are, Baltimore has 24 wins in July. And like a few days into July, that's, yeah, I don't don't even know, man. Yeah, at least we're not Orioles fans. Yeah. I mean, Camden Yards is really nice to have. Um, It is. But there's a much longer road to coming back there. You know, they... (laughs) We we have trade rumors in our own universe here, but the best player they have seen in uh, I don't years. know. Yeah, I mean going back to like Ripken's heyday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, um, it, he's about to so not be Adam an Oriole anymore. Is screaming at their podcast right now. <laughs> People thought Adam Jones was going to be the thing for a while. Remember that. Yeah, and he's been a good player. He's been a very good player, yeah, but not. Yeah. 
I but yeah, Machado. I believe Machado. it was Jay Jaffe. I, I'm going to throw some shade at Jaffe, who I love, but I believe he said that if you look at just pure physical athleticism, he's a better player than Willie Mays. Okay. I believe that was Jaffe that said that at a BP event one time. So, sorry, Jay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, man, the Orioles are bad. Yeah. But it all, it all ties in nicely to everything that we want to talk about. It does. It's actually very convenient. Um, so I, I guess let's let, let's begin by talking about the Mets' trade rumors of their own. So a few yeah. weeks ago, there were rumblings that the Mets were going to listen to offers on DeGrom and Syndergaard. And, I, well, I, I think that was always pretty tough to believe. Recent leaks from the front office say that uh, they have since moved on from that idea. And thank goodness, because that would have been very, very ugly if it had actually happened. Even though I think we can all agree that Syndergaard is a more exciting pitcher to watch day to day, I feel like if they traded DeGrom, that would have hurt more. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, the year that I finally give in to uh, accepting, not that I ever disliked him at all, but just accepting that, okay, you can just say DeGrom is the best pitcher on the team now. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's a situation where he's he's just. I mean, now I'm like he he might be the best pitcher in the game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you you look at it. He's uh, obviously proven himself to be more durable. Uh, you know, you. I hate to write a guy off as being injury prone. After, you know, a couple of injuries, but when these two seasons are over, Syndergaard is going to have about a half season's worth of work in total. And DeGrom will have two seasons worth. Right. Uh, you know, or maybe three quarters of a season for Syndergaard, but, you know, same same concept. Yeah. So, yeah, the durability has been better and the results have been better. And, you know, people who are getting on Syndergaard for not being good enough early in this season, I think we're insane yeah uh <laughs> so it's not a knock on him at all but there's a clear one two and i think Syndergaard could be the ace on a whole bunch of other teams so to say that he's not the ace of the mets is not an insult but yeah uh you know trading those guys one or both of them uh and especially Degrom, is just really you know waving the white flag not just on on the era but you know, the the pressure to get that right, uh, you know, it, it's it would be immense. Yeah. You know, uh, like Syndergaard and Darno were traded for R.A. Dickey at a point in his career that he still had several good years in him. Uh, I think his work gets maybe a little underrated in, you know, the post-Mets era uh, for him. But, you know, you heard Syndergaard, Darno come over and at least answer questions about, I don't know whether or not they were really feeling it, but at least answer things about being traded for a Cy Young award winner and the, the pressure that exists there. Uh, you know, if you're coming over as one of two, three, four guys for DeGrom, you're not just expected to make it. You're expected to be, the future you know, franchise. right. One of the best players in baseball. Uh, and that's, that's a lot. You know, I think it can weigh on a guy. Not only that, but I mean, with the exception of 
the Cindergard, uh, Degrom, uh, Cindergard uh, Darno trade rather. Can you remember the last time for the Mets a dump a star for a package of prospects worked out all that well? Uh, well, yeah, Beltron and Wheeler. That, that, yeah, I, I guess I, I was thinking more of a that that was a, that was a rental. That was a uh, yeah. It was a one. It was a one for one deal. I'm talking, you know, we're getting rid of our our best player for a bundle of prospects type deal. Yeah, I don't even know. When have they done that? <laughs> I mean, Seaver. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, that that predates uh, me yeah, and you. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a time that they've ever really sold somebody of that caliber. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like trading Degrom would be as dark a day as trading Seaver was. Don't let anybody over forty hear you say that. Because <laughs> um, they yeah, I, I mean, Seaver in a way that, uh, you know, that, that I can't fully appreciate because I never saw Seaver pitch in his prime. Right. And Seaver does get, I think, slightly overlooked. It's hard to say that about somebody who's in the Hall of Fame. Who, uh, and who had the highest winning percentage of any player until uh, Ken Griffey Jr. getting into the Hall of Fame. Right. 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 So, uh, you know, I feel like it's hard to say that, but. Uh, at the same time, you look back and you have guys who had shorter careers or weren't quite as great as he was, um, you know, who, who maybe get considered a little more highly in the best pitchers of all time rankings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I get it. But it, 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 I think it's the closest thing we could feel to that. Yeah, because, you know, he... he... DeGrom hasn't had the fall from grace that um, a Doc Gooden had or the right. Strawberry had. You know, um, he hasn't had the injury history of uh, a David Wright or someone else who was considered to be a franchise player and then, you know, on some level disappointed, even though I never want to hear David Wright hear me say that I'm disappointed in him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean in him, I mean in his body breaking down on him. But, you know, it's right. just to give up on a player in their prime of that consequence just seems really, really like throwing in the flag, throwing in the towel for, gosh, half a decade, maybe more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so rare that a team hits on a pitcher of that caliber, let alone the Mets have done it a couple of times now and arguably did it with Harvey also before he got hurt arguably did it with with Wheeler or you know Wheeler's looking right now as good as he's ever looked you know so the fact that the organization's been able to develop this many starting pitchers is is really a miraculous thing and to give up on the best two of them would be a real real blow yeah 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 no it's um and you know the other side of it too is who's who's making the call on what the trade return is now, you know, and obviously we hope, uh, Sandy Alderson recovers fully and is healthy and, and, you know, wishing nothing but the best on a personal level, uh, you know, on a professional level, he's one, he's not involved in the day-to-day decision-making, uh, you know, for at least the short term and two, 
Um, you know, I, I think the last six months to a year of his performance on a professional level was not his best work. Agreed. So, you know, you, you have sort of a trio of guys plus the COO, um, who's, you know, part of ownership, obviously. Um, a particularly meddlesome part of ownership. Yeah, and and you know, so you're 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 entrusting a very important decision to I don't know. Uh, what's the best way to frame it? I mean, I, I just don't know. You know. An un, an unknown quantity in the front office is that that I think that's the nicest way anybody could could say what that situation is like, you know, and like I don't want somebody trying to prove themselves as the successor for general manager in meetings about who they should trade, you know, right. Some, somebody like that for, I mean, Rob and I talked a little bit about this last time, but it, it's a really odd mix of guys that are in charge right now, because you get the impression that Ricciardi is the Alderson guy who's, who's sort of the last man standing from that regime, right? Rico predates Alderson in the organization. Yeah. Uh, Manaya obviously has a different relationship with ownership than, than Alderson does. Uh, and I wonder how equal those those uh, titles are right now. Do, do you have yeah, any that, sense for that? Uh, and no, I don't think I have any sense. Um in terms of what they're, you know, feeling internally. Uh, also, just a quick aside, I think Terry Collins might be the happiest man on the planet right now. <laughs> um, he looked pretty damn happy in spring training to not be managing, uh, you know, anymore. And, man, the way this is gone, woo! Uh, but back to the GM Cripes. side. Yeah, cripes indeed. Um, but back on the GM side... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a sense of what the dynamic there is for them. I know that Ricciardi would be my last choice. Why? Just, just because of his Toronto failure? Yeah. I, well, yeah, there was some bad work there. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Can't put my finger on it. But, uh, you know, he just seems to be... I don't know. He's not my kind of guy. And I, I'd rather, I don't, I don't have a good enough sense of Rico. Um, and then you know, Manaya obviously had his, you know, his pros and cons as GM, but I think he sometimes would freeze up in front of a mic to the point that people thought he was not smart. And that's definitely not true. Right. Right. Uh, you know, whether or not the baseball decisions were always sound, we don't know. Uh, oh no, sorry, is a mixed bag. What we don't know is how much interference he had to deal with. You know, if there's ever a Sandy Alderson memoir, or or if the you know if the Mets ever are sold to any other ownership group, and there's a tell all about this. Yeah, yeah, then I think it might be easier to properly judge the performance of these general managers. Uh, you know, I, I think it's hard to do, uh, 
in the you know current landscape. But but yeah, I mean, my my first choice would be that they would go find somebody new who's outside the organization, um, and and somebody who really commanded autonomy of the entire baseball operation. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's realistic, but but yeah, no no Ricciardi is is my vote. See, I I think in this particular moment, I think Ricciardi might be the guy they need because I feel like Ricciardi is the only one. I mean, look, we don't again, we don't really know Rico's style as a GM. I, I have to point out once again, his mom and my mom are pals, so I I, I have a personal affinity for him just because my mom's friends with his mom. But I, you know, I, I don't know what kind of a GM he would be at all. I think that Ricciardi has the... I, I, I'm going to use a bunch of buzzy phrases that I fucking hate. <laughs> but, like, I think that he has the ability to think outside the box a little bit more in these ways. I, I think because he comes from such a sabermetric background... And because he worked with Alderson and Billy Bean and saw how things were done in Oakland when there wasn't a lot of money to be thrown around, I think that when when the team finds its back against the wall where it has to trade some players, but it doesn't want to trade its superstars, but there's no you know real natural fit for what they need right now at the major league level, I think this is the type of guy who might be able to look at things a little bit differently and make a trade that will be less less expected and therefore possibly uh you know we used to love the the, the term of you know all these sort of fleecing general managers for different things I, I think those days are over but i think if anybody's going to come close and close to fleecing somebody in this front office i, I think that Richardi's the guy to maybe do that for this particular moment i don't want him necessarily running the team next year but i think at the trade deadline Richardi might be the best bet the mets have Okay. Yeah. Hey. Fair enough. Maybe. <laughs> you know. Who knows? Yeah, I, we're not dealing with an ideal situation here. No. I feel like I've said situation a lot. That's probably not a good thing when you're talking about a baseball team in July. <laughs> yeah. The um, situation. Uh, actually, we're talking about the season, and then we're just not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, who do you think are the uh, the players most likely to be traded? Uh, Stribble Cabrera, uh, you know, and I, I know I wrote about it a little bit on the site and, uh, you know, I know there might be some sense of like, well, who are they going to trade him to? And, you know, where does he fit? But switch hitting guy who's hit well, really well this year, um, really well overall in his time with the Mets. Uh, you know, I'm not saying anybody's going to give up a boatload for him, but you know that that's an asset to have. He is definitely better than the twenty-fifth man on, you know, a few rosters. So even if you're not getting him to be a starting guy, uh, you know, I'd rather have him around as a part-time player, and you know, insurance if one of my better guys gets hurt. So yeah. I, I think he's a no-brainer to go. Um, you know, at a time that we are very much reflecting on the bad moves, signing him was. Probably one of the best moves that Alderson ever made. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't mean that to, you know, I don't mean that as an insult at all. Uh, he signed a very, you know, 
player friendly, con- sorry, team friendly contracts for a player who, uh, you know, has performed well. And, you know, I know he's not a defensive wizard in, in the field, but I think he might get knocked a little bit too much for defense. And he's just been a really solid hitter, uh, you know. So, yeah, I, I think he's probably the most likely to go. I would assume Familia goes too. Uh, you know, teams have made dumb trades for relief pitchers when they're contending, sort of like a time-honored tradition <laughs> in this game. Uh, and as long as his shoulder doesn't completely fall apart, you know, if he just stays on the field and, uh, you know, when you're looking at his numbers – the ERA is a little higher than usual, but, um, you know, strikeout, walk, home run rates are all pretty normal. Uh, I, I think there's something there. So those two, uh, you know, those two are good, uh, I think. And then maybe some of these other guys get traded. Jose Bautista's performed better than anybody expected. You know, in, some, in an alternate timeline, I'm not sure if the alternate timeline gets you to a point where you sign Jose Bautista, but... <laughs> But say just one, you know, say it was just everything's going great. Cespedes has the the leg hip issue come up and the Braves release Bautista, you know, but that just that part of the thing stays the same. Then you'd look and go like, oh, wow, they, you know, they signed this guy for nothing. And, you know, he's he's doing a, a much better job than expected of filling Cespedes' role uh, in the lineup, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Again, not thinking you're going to get a ton for him, but in a season where the Braves are contending for the division, you might be able to get some minor leaguer back for a player the Braves released uh, after sort of, you know, insisting they were going to play him every day and then releasing him 12 days later or whatever it was. Yeah. So it, it, it's the small victories. Uh, and and then I guess last but not least, um, Blevins... He is left-handed. He is a reliever. Again, teams contending, making stupid trades for bullpen arms. Uh, it, it wouldn't shock me. Anybody who you think you'd, you'd rank totally differently or just somebody I didn't mention who... There's a lot of talk about Wheeler being a potential trade target. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That. And uh, Wheeler's an interesting case because I don't know if he's ever put together a string of starts as good as his last. I mean, I, I, you know, regardless of results, because we all know pitcher wins mean nothing, just look at the way he's pitched the last month, a month and a half. He hasn't looked as good in years, if ever at all. Like, his, his most recent start, he looked as confident and collected as I've ever seen him. And that's a really great thing. And... You're frustrated that it's happening during this season, but he might be able to legitimately get the Mets something. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the other stretch that he had that was along those lines was the one, uh, you know, before the injury, 2014, he throws that complete game shutout. Uh, and from that point, June 19th through the end of the season, now granted he didn't make, you know... A, a, he didn't throw the most innings, but it was uh, 18 starts, 2.93 ERA. Yeah. And that included a couple of stinkers in, in the mix, to uh, borrow one of Keith's favorite yeah. terms. Uh, you know, and, and still. That was the time that, when Wheeler was throwing so many pitches 
because everybody's fouling off his pitches. Whereas now he seems to have cut down on that. And so you hope some of those thinkers may not may uh, may fade away. Yeah. So yeah, it it is probably the best he's looked. Uh, you know, I'd still trade him. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't, I don't just like the guy. Left? Uh, beyond this year, I just don't trust it'll stay healthy. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just trying to figure out the sort of but it's it's package. Is it one or two after this year? Let's I let's be accurate. Yeah, I've practically memorized the exact circumstances of Degrom and uh, what's this uh, Syndergaard, but uh, oh no, Wheeler is just 2019. Yeah, then I trade him. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario is that he's great next season. And, you know, we're saying we would trade him assuming that there's some real return. Yes. Some team is willing to take the risk that, okay, you know, he's not been a healthy guy for a lot of the years. He's been in the, you know, in the major leagues. But, you know, we think for the next year and a half, he can be a really good pitcher. Um and you know he, he's he's not making that much money. You know his last year of arbitration, he's going to probably make. I mean, he's at about two now. So yeah, that's an incredibly valuable. Or five, six, you know, somewhere in that range. It's not like he's going to make ten, fifteen. One of the things that Ronnie said on the broadcast the last time we started was that you know he knows a lot of um, the scouts around baseball. A lot of them he played with, or just you know guys he's encountered. And he says that when he comes to a, a city and he sees an old buddy who's a scout, they never ask about Syndergaard or DeGrom. They always ask about Wheeler. Huh. And, uh, you know, that's really interesting. I wonder if there is a, a real uh, a real viable trade option there for Wheeler. I, w- I think – I don't want to use the term blown away because that's, that's overselling it, but I don't think you're trading him for – what you traded uh, Granderson or Bruce or Duda for last season. I think you have to see a real prospect back for Wheeler. Yeah, it would have to be something something uh, of a different uh, tier. Yeah. Uh, there's also been talk of trading Mats, but I don't, I don't know who would necessarily trade for Mats. He's such an unproven commodity still. And again, health concerns, etc. I just, I don't see you getting much for Matt's. Do you? Um, not really. No, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's a huge gap between the two of them. Uh, you know, Matt's has the better overall numbers this season. Obviously, Wheeler has looked much better uh, himself recently. Um. But yeah, they're both guys that I just can't trust to throw never not even two hundred innings, like one hundred seventy innings, and be healthy if you're in the playoffs. Yeah. So I just don't know how I can. If some team is willing to give up anything real for either or both of them, then you take it. Yeah, have at it. It's gonna mean some ugly starts down the stretch. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, I'd rather see Flexen and Oswald just, you know, giving it a good go for two and a half months or two months if, you know, they wait until the actual deadline to do these things. 
Um, you know, I mean, the one thing with Mets, uh, again, I wouldn't just sell low. They they have three more years of control on him after this year. Uh, I I don't know what to make of him. I have no idea. But you know, it, it it's I'd still trade him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, it, it, you're keep. I want to keep Degrom, Syndergaard, Conforto, Nimmo, and that those four to me are definitely part of the equation and. Uh, I'm not giving up on Rosario. It's just, you know, if there was a situation where somebody valued him as highly as he was valued, uh, you know, when he still had prospect status, then, okay, you know, you can talk about that. But you got to remember he's still really young and, you know, uh, the email, we'll hit on that a little bit more. Yeah. Do you want to jump right into that? Sure. All right. So we got an email from our pal David. And uh, he said, hey, guys, if you were in the Mets crowded GM suite, would you trade Rosario for Manny Machado? And do you think the Orioles would take that deal straight up? I know Rosario was such a well-regarded prospect, but essentially a year in now, I don't see it. I really don't want him playing short for the next five-plus years for the Mets. With Machado, sure, Mets are currently extreme outsiders to sign him long-term. But I think, if he, I think it becomes a possibility if he plays here for two months and enjoys it. I still hold out hope that the player of Machado's caliber, together with the core of the Grom, Thor, Conforto, Nimmo, and we hope either Cespedes or Bruce could contend for the division. What do you guys think? Uh, Chris, you want to start with this one? Or you want me to take it first? Uh, sure. Well, I can start. I mean, first uh, they would get slaughtered for doing it, <laughs> uh, which you know doesn't mean generally that it's uh, it's you know the wrong thing to do. But, man, that's a big risk to take. You know, I, I don't know if you can make Manny Machado fall in love with things, uh, you know, the way the Cespedes probably did. Uh, and, and, you know, the Mets pounded up money and, and paid him to remain a Met. But he came here and enjoyed a really good run with the team. Right. So if there were a tiebreaker, you know, that, that may have been it. Is Manny Machado going to see Tim Tebow in the outfield and... You know, a stadium that has five, ten thousand people in it. Although, hey, if Tebow's there, who knows? Like, I don't know anything anymore about what's appealing. So, <laughs> maybe you know, maybe they sell the place out with Tebow. I have no clue. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know if this is the environment to entice Machado to stay. Uh, so, I, I get the point. You know, similar to Cespedes. This isn't a guy who you have any shot at unless you had him here uh, and sort of, you know, gave him the best possible experience. I don't think the Mets are capable of that right now. Uh, and, you know, we're in a season where I think the manager is not guaranteed to manage beyond this year. Uh, I'll be surprised if they fire him, but he's not been good. So, I, I don't the whispers, know. I, the whispers out there are that he's... Uh not very popular among the players either. Yeah, it, it, there hasn't been any really good angle. I mean, obviously, you can give him a little bit of... Um, you, you can write off the fact that he has the roster that he has. Mm-hmm. But, man, he's gotten snippy over some, you know, some stuff, that the questions that have been about things that he has messed up. 
Uh, I forget what it was. We talked about it on the on the show. But uh, do, do you remember the specifics early in the season? Was it that he didn't double switch or something like that? No, was, no, 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 no. He set he sent Jay Bruce up to pinch hit when he knew he'd be intentionally walked. Or not he knew, but when it was clear to everyone else watching the baseball game that they would just walk Bruce in that situation. And he burned yes. a pinch hitter in a situation where there was absolutely no reason. And Bruce was dealing with his plantar fasciitis, so you're essentially putting Bruce in as a as a base runner for a guy who couldn't run the bases effectively at the moment. I want to say that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. And then the reaction to it was, like, kind of cutesy, not... I remember it being a moment that I just said, okay, I know what I want to hear him say. And I, I what it, it, you know, I think that was exactly the situation. Uh, but just in case it was something different, uh, you know, whatever it was, I wanted him to say, you know what, you guys, you're right. I made a mistake. Uh, and he just didn't own it the way that I had hoped. And, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. He just hasn't been good strategically. He hasn't been good at selling stuff. Um, You know, and I know with like Reyes, he's got to tow the company line and all that. But to go back to your earlier question, I think when I gave up on the season was when Alderson gave the press conference where he brought up Jose Reyes himself. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably good. And I was like, all right, that's enough. You know, this, this is like, I can still appreciate it because it's, professional baseball uh you know that that's available to me but <laughs> it's funny but, you know i i didn't answer my own question about when i gave up hope and it was um it was when i totally lost faith in alderson and it was the yeah. press conference and that's when i gave up hope yeah yeah i think that you know if we're looking for the uh the moment that lisa rips um ralph's heart in half yep i think that was it <laughs> Nothing gets chocolate out. See, but yeah, horrible tease for podcast listeners. But off the air, say "dare officer" to me. Okay, <laughs> I have a, I have a story for you, my friend. Um, All right, but uh, the Machado thing—we got off the rails. We did. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I can't see a world in which Machado signs with the Mets whether he's playing here for two months or not. So you're risking potentially a really, really good player, even though, you know, I understand he has not shown it just yet offensively. But I think that you could you could make a case for Rosario being the, you know, like you said, you mentioned the big four you'd want to build around, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Nimmo, and Conforto. Rosario is the natural fifth spot for that. So you're talking, you're going to possibly give up the fifth or sixth most important player on your 40-man roster for two months of a guy that's, and a a guy that even if he plays like Mantle, you're probably not going to make the playoffs with him this year. I I don't know if I could make that move. Just hoping the fact that he enjoys New York, I don't know. To me, you almost have a better chance of landing him if he didn't play here for for the last two months of the season. Because yeah. can you imagine anything worse than playing like in ninety-five degree hot city field to you know six thousand people? 
It's just, it's just not going to be a pleasant experience. I think if the long-term goal is to get Machado, the only thing standing in your way between that as a, as a, as a free agent is ownership's ability to pony up and, you know, and to sell New York to him. I don't see how trading for him does that. Yeah. The, one, the only thing I'll say is that if the Mets know that no matter what, they'd really prefer Jose Reyes for the next five years, Ooh. and then they're just going to burn Rosario's career, then sure, go ahead and do it. But um, That's the you most know, disgusting it, sentence I've ever heard you utter. Well, you know, they've stuck with him this long. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do appreciate the, you know, the sort of outside the box uh, you know, thinking with with the email and oh yeah, yeah, it's a fun thought um, exercise. Yeah, I, I just. Uh, but yeah, I think in the end you're giving up uh, Rosario being, uh, let's hope, just a good major league shortstop, which is a compliment. Yeah. Uh, again, that's that's not an easy thing to do, and maybe more uh, to, you know, maybe decrease your chances of signing Machado. You know, you might be able to sell him. Okay, in the winter, you can just sell him on, here's the most money. Right. And, you know, New York is awesome. And, you know, we're going to... If, if they're spending Machado money, this fantasy land, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to we're paying you and we're going to put real money into the bullpen and the rest of the starting rotation. And we're not going to just hope that guys who are already in the organization all break out and stay healthy and like play that game again, you know? Well, that's my big, my big concern with trading Matt's and or Wheeler is that I have no confidence in the front office replacing those guys with anybody. That's true. I guess if they traded those guys, they would maybe feel like they had to. You remember who you're talking about, right? Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, hey, maybe uh, you know, maybe some guys in the minors emerge and and make this all a little more clear in a in a month or two. But yeah. Thank you, David, for the email. We do appreciate it. Um, I guess sort of to wrap up here, Chris. I, I think we've we've pretty much well established that the Mets are not going to win the National League East this year. I think I would put money on that at this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, prove us wrong, Mets, please. Hey, you are in New Jersey. You Maybe you can go put money on it for me. <laughs> uh, we'll talk after the podcast again. Uh, <laughs> more, more conversations, not for the air. Um, but yeah, if you had to uh, to pick of the, of the teams that are likely to possibly win the East, the Phillies, the Braves, or I guess the Nationals, who are you feeling? Who do you want there? Uh, I would prefer the Phillies, and you know that that that's a weird thing to say, but it's kind of twofold. One, they have nothing to do with the Chase Utley, Shane Victorino like era. Uh, you know, I truly despised and still do despise Utley. Yep. Uh, Utley, you Butley. Exactly. And, the, the, you know, but those two players transcended 
any level of player hatred. I like I hated Chipper Jones because he was good. <laughs> right. I hated Victorino and Utley as people. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I uh, there's there's a very stark difference. So one, <laughs> it's not that all the Victorino gifts. Oh yeah. Oh, the most amazing things on the internet. But <laughs> it's if not you don't that know what level. We're talking about guys. Seek them out. Trust me. Yeah, they're on they're on the site. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's not that level of hatred for anybody on that Phillies team. And there's just sort of this like extra little bonus embarrassment for the Mets that they, you know, the Phillies went and got Arietta and Santana and they didn't even pay them like that much. Their contracts weren't that crazy. No, you know, and, and to just embarrass the Mets that the team that was willing to pay Jake Arietta and not just go for a bargain with Jason Vargas, you know, went and won the division and, the way the season's gone, Arietta alone wouldn't have, you know, necessarily saved it. But, you know, there's a clear difference in approach. Um, you know, Carlos Santana is a very different approach to first base uh, than Adrian Gonzalez coming off being released and, you know, Dom Smith and maybe we'll get Pete Alonso by the time the season's over. But, yeah, so it's it's twofold. It's that, that embarrassment of what the Mets did and the fact that I don't really hate anybody on the Phillies right now. Plus uh, my, my hatred of the Braves is uh, never ending, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I will never say that I prefer the Braves to win the division over anybody. And the nationals might be making themselves irrelevant now, but it would just be hilarious to see, you know, they were, hands down the presumptive favorites to win the division oh, and it would be great to see him finish third and not make the playoffs at all uh i just find you know any kind of consensus pick to win a division failing is funny to me uh, unless it's the mets of course so what about you go go phillies or uh, uh well okay so if we're being intellectual about this then i i totally understand your uh your go Phillies attitude. There is not a single Philly I even remotely dislike. You know, I just I just don't care. <laughs> like Don Draper, I I don't think about them at all. You know, it's it's not a, <laughs> it's it's not there's nobody on that team that like makes my blood boil. Whereas watching the Nationals, Daniel Murphy makes my blood boil. Um, Freddie Freeman makes my blood boil. Just you know these these classic Met killers that you can't that you can't get away from. Um, so there's that. The the one the one objection I have to the Phillies is that I think the Phillies I think the Mets will take the wrong lesson from the Phillies because they're the Mets and that's what they do from these things. And uh, I don't think that they're I don't think that the Wilpons can feel shame the way you're expecting them to uh, in this in this fantasy world. True. Sure. <laughs> uh, part of me wants to say the Nationals because I know they'll not win the playoff series. So you're rooting for them to get to the playoffs and then get bumped, get dropped in the first round because right that that would that's be what nice. The Nationals do you know? So, uh, but I, I can't I can't rationally expect that to happen over and over again. You know, at some point they're going to win a playoff series, whether I like it or not. Um, and the Braves, you know. 
I just don't like the Braves. <laughs> you know, I, I think you and I are both in the generation where <laughs> we grew up with the Braves being public enemy number one. Uh, and the Braves won the National League East for a long time. And it, in my opinion, they can go a long time without winning it now. So I guess I'm rooting for the Phillies. I almost, in an absurd way, want the Marlins to, to, to somehow go out in front and, and win the division because that would just be something you'd never see in baseball ever again. Right. Yeah, that, that would be the ultimate troll, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because that, that's like the lead, that is not what Derek Jeter wants to happen. And uh, I love sticking it to Derek Jeter. So <laughs> if the Marlins winning pisses Jeter off, that's fine. Uh, yeah. so, some, <laughs> somebody essentially described the Jeter front office to me as the plot of the producers. <laughs> like they're, they're, ah. they're, they're buying a team with the intention of it failing. So they yeah, can yeah, make yeah. money on it, you know. And, right. uh, you know, the, the, the Marlins winning the World Series, winning the East, would be springtime for Hitler being a hit, you know? So right. I'm just rooting for the absurdity of that, I guess. But, uh, you know, realistically, yeah, sure. The Phillies are fine. I also, I feel like if the Phillies are doing well, I will be more enticed to make a trip to Philly to see the Phillies and the Mets because it'll be a, a more fun atmosphere than going to a half-empty Citizens Bank Park. Um, even if the Mets are getting their asses kicked, you know, it, it'll be fun to, to be there and uh, get a cheesesteak or something. Yeah, that works. I wish I had a stronger opinion about this. Yeah, you know, it's it's where we are. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I guess sort of to wrap up here. Have there been, is there anything that's happened this season that you're glad we got to witness? Like, for instance, um, do you think that the emergence of Nimmo and, I guess to a lesser extent, Wheeler have been legit? And, uh, and those are both things that maybe wouldn't have gotten the same chance if the Mets didn't have their string of injury bad luck or kept their hot streak going. You know, so is when we look back on 2018, will those be the two things that we remember from the season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think DeGrom has a legitimate chance to win a Cy Young. Uh, you know, I know that the the win-loss record could factor in there compared to Scherzer, but if the Nationals are bad, you know, it, it might just really boil down to, um, you know, the, the, the pitching stats that don't involve the rest of the team. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there is that, uh, so that could be something, but yeah, I, I'm still a little skeptical on Wheeler. Um, but I think Nimmo's for real. Uh, you know, I, I think that is something, you know, we're going to be looking at a guy who finishes the year, hopefully is like a five, five and a half, six win type player. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, a that's a really, really good guy to have on your roster, uh, and especially the way that he's done it. You know, it just seems like a, a pretty complete player. And, you know, I know his, his batting line has dipped just a little bit. Um, he's had a rough go of it the last few weeks. Yeah, but, I mean, it's still overall good. Um, you know, it hasn't sunken 
that line all that much. Um, and, and just the emergence of Major League Power in his game, uh, you know, he's at 12 home runs right now. Not that that's an astronomical, astronomical number of home runs, but, you know, it, this is a guy who I'm in. I'm fully on board. This, You know, he's a guy who should be playing every day. Uh, what on earth they do with the next two years of Jay Bruce's contract, I have no idea. That was but, my next question, is how do you construct this outfield next season? I mean... Cespedes, Bruce, Platoon, whoever's healthy, right? And then Conforto, Nimmo every day. That is how I have to look at it. And, you know, if Cespedes is fully healthy, then Jay Bruce is not starting in my outfield. Which will be the worst free agent contract when all is said and done? The Bruce deal or the Bay deal? Um... Probably still Bay, right? What, well, what was I would say that Bruce obviously had a better start to his Mets tenure, but not as a free, not signing with the Mets. Like, to ju- just in terms of the contract. Because, you know, Bruce had two seasons where he was, he was not signed as a free agent to play here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Bay still. I mean, he was so bad. And they paid him more per year in like earlier years, you know, mm-hmm. where if you, you know, adjusted the money for time, it would look even worse. Yeah, yeah I'm sticking with Bay. Okay, I hope you're right. <laughs> and look, you know, there's still a chance that Bruce is the first baseman of the team for next year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is a possibility. Man, what are you going to do with Dom Smith? That's a whole other conversation. we got a lot more podcasts coming up. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Look forward to that, that sweet, sweet Dom Smith spectacular in about mid-August, let's say. Oh, yeah. everyone, this is Steve Seipler, and I'm back to go over our minor league players of the week for week 12, which is June 24th to the 30th. So, the Las Vegas 51s went 6-4, and four, and that puts them at 38-44 and 44 for the season. Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 3-3, three and three, and they had a rain-postponed game, and they are 38-41 and 41 for the year. St. Lucie Mets went 3-2, and two, and they also had a rain-postponed game, and they are 3-5 and five in the second half. The Columbia Fireflies went 4-2, and two, and they had a game just outright canceled because of wet grounds, and they are 5-4 and four in the second half. The Brooklyn Cyclones have cooled down a little bit since the season started, and they went 3-3 three and three this week, which leaves them at 10-6 and six for the year. The Kingsport Mets also cooled down a little bit, and they went 2-3 and three this year with a rain-postponed game, and are 7-4 and four for the season. And finally, the GCL Mets went 5-2, and two, and they are 7-4 and four for the year. Now, our pitcher of the week is Las Vegas right-hander Drew Gagnon. He pitched seven shutout innings against his former team, the Salt Lake Bees, this week, and he won his first game for the season. He allowed four hits, he walked one, and he struck out ten. So some of you may be wondering, who is Drew Gagnon? Well, the Brewers drafted him 
few years ago out of uh, Cal State Long Beach. He slowly climbed up through the system for a few years, and he made it as high as their AAA affiliate, the Colorado Sky Sox. But he never got a promotion to the majors, and it was basically minor league filler. And he was traded to the Angels in exchange for catcher Jet Brandy. And he didn't have a great year when he was with the Angels. He was there for one year. He played the Solek Bees. And because he wasn't that great, he again missed out on getting promoted to the majors. And then he signed with the Mets this past December. And he spent most of his time with Las Vegas so far this year. And for the season, he's posted a 4.78 ERA in 90.1 innings, allowing 85 hits, walking 26, and striking out 94. So Ganyan is a decent fastball. It sits in the low 90s and tops out around 95 or so. But none of his other secondary pitches are better than average, which is a pretty big reason why he hasn't gotten a shot at the major leagues. His slider is eh. His changeup is eh. And even though he's always shown good command of all of his pitches, and that's generally why he's gotten to be where he is right now, you know, in AAA, without a plus pitch, he's kind of topped out there. Um, in theory, a shift to the bullpen could help him, since it would basically help his fastball and give it a few more ticks of velocity, and he'd be able to focus on one one off-speed pitch, really his slider, which does sometimes flash above average. But um, I don't I don't see that really happening. And if it does happen, good luck to him. But I don't think it'll be with the Mets, and kind of I hope it isn't. The team has other internal options, options that I'd rather see get chances before Genyan. Nothing against him. But like I was saying last week concerning Nabil Chrismount, when you watch certain players for years, you have more of a vested interest in seeing them succeed as opposed to seeing other guys that are brought in as free agents. So... I'd rather see a guy like Chris Matt get the chance, you know, a guy like Corey Oswald, Chris Flexen, people that have been in the system for a while now. I'd see, rather see them get the chances than a guy that kind of comes in, even though Ganyan may have the stuff to succeed in a role like that. And now our hit of the week is another Las Vegas 51s player, this time it's second baseman Jeff McNeil. He went 12 for 31 with two doubles, two home runs, seven RBI, two walks, six strikeouts, and a stolen base. So, McNeil played his first AAA game this year on June 16th. So, that's 14 games right now. And he's hitting a cool 397 with them. Um, he's gotten on base in all 14 games. And in 11 of those 14 games, he's gotten on base at least twice, either by drawing a walk and a hit logging multiple hits. Uh, he played in 17 games with the 51s last year when he got promoted in mid-August and closed out the rest of the season there. And he hit 254, 295, 366. So that's a pretty stark difference. And I was looking at his numbers and I noticed this. And it's actually a little incredible kind of when you think about it. But in Binghamton, he hit 327, 4-2, with a 316 bat pip. Now, a lot of times when you see guys break out and post high batting averages in the minors, it's because they're posting really high bat pips. You know, sometimes ones that are unsustainable in the long term. Let's look at a couple of guys. Ahmed Rosario, he hit 328, 367, 466 in Las Vegas with a 377 bat pip last year. And then the year before that in Binghamton, he hit uh, 341, 392, 481 with a 433 bat pip. 
it's the major leagues that he's in now, so obviously he's facing tougher pitches and better defenders and everything, but regression happened. Mark Reynolds, uh, in 2014, when he was with Binghamton, he hit 355, 430, 422 with a 433 BAPIP. And then uh, he hit 333, 385, 479 in Las Vegas later in that year with a 404 BAPIP. Again, you know, he, he played in the majors, but regression happened. Cesar Pueyo, a couple of years ago, um, he hit 326, 403, 547 in 2013 with Binghamton, and he did that with the help of a 391 BAPIP. Regression happened with him, and a little bit of that good old Mets mishandling of injuries mixed in for good measure. But the point is that McNeil's BAPIP is kind of crazy low for the numbers that he's putting up. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's been like robbed or anything like that but with his surface numbers the average in the obp they could have actually been better if his bat was unsustainably inflated like some of those other guys if you just kind of do quick math um a, a 50 point boost in his bat that would bring his batting average up to 366 and you know a 366 bat pip could be something that a guy could sustain for a season, you know, in the minor leagues, especially when they're hitting really good. But anyway, a 50-point boost would bring up to 366, and that would have hiked his batting average up to 354, and his on-base percentage up to 424, plus whatever, you know, whatever gains in slugging percentage thanks to um, extra nine hits would be, uh, you know, possibly being extra base hits. And that brings me to another point about McNeil. It's not just the balls that he's putting in play, but it's also the balls that he's hitting out of play, home runs. Um, one of the biggest differences between his run in Binghamton, you know, and his two-week run in Las Vegas, and how he's been in the past is his fly ball rate and how many of those fly balls are getting hit out of the park. Now, the last time McNeil was healthy was in 2015, and that was a while ago. So the data is going to be a little little skewed because he was a you know considerably younger as compared to today and a different kind of physical shape obviously but in 2015 when he was with the St. Lucie Mets he had a 22.1% line drive percentage a 41.5 ground ball percentage a 36.4 fly ball percentage a 20.9 infield fly ball percentage and a 0.7% home run to fly ball percentage now this year, he's posting a 19.8 line drive rate, a 30.5 ground ball percentage, a 49.7 fly ball percentage, a 12.9 fly infield fly ball percentage, and a 15.1% home run to fly ball ratio. So the two biggest takeaways here are that A, he's hitting way fewer ground balls, and B, he's hitting more fly balls that are going for home runs. So the strength that we've heard, you know, he put on, even though he's not as ripped as he was a couple of years ago, he's still pretty ripped, and the strength is helping him, obviously. And that launch angle increase, you know, it's it's all paying its dividends. So it's not, you know, an anomaly, I don't think, at this point. I think that McNeil has become something of a real deal, at least in the minor leagues. In the majors, I don't know how it's going to translate. He's very pull-heavy, so he could fall victim to some major league shifting that'll uh, 
hurt his batting average. But, you know, he's you got to give him a chance. And unfortunately, with the Mets right now, with the way that Cabrera has been playing and Frazier, there just really isn't room for a chance right now. So hopefully by the time the trade deadline comes and the Mets infield gets shifted around a bit, hopefully McNeil is still kind of surging like he has been and hopefully gets a promotion and we'll see. So those are our plays of the week for week 12. And again, I'm Steve Saipa, and I'll be back next week for Plays of the Week for Week 13. That does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. You can go to AmazingAvenue.com where we have all sorts of Mets content, depressing as it may be. There's lots of good stuff there. We recap every game. We preview every series. We talk about the farm. We do mind bogglers on Mondays. We do uh, performance meters also on Mondays. Pipping a lot of Monday content today, folks. Go there. Check it out. You'll enjoy it. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show, the show you're listening to right now, from Apple Podcasts, from Stitcher, or directly from blogtalkradio.com. We ask that when you get the show, you rate, review, and subscribe it. Those things really do help us, and we appreciate it. We'll be your friends forever. We promise. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. So... Next week, hopefully, we'll have uh, some good stuff to talk about. The Mets have won two of the last three games. They're 2-1 uh, and one in July. So there's that, I guess. And uh, whatever happens, you can hear about it right here at Amazing Avenue Audio. So, until next time, let's go Mets. Yeah.